take your Bibles with me and go to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3. And I, and I tell you what I want you to do too, is you get Judges chapter 3, if you'll grab with the other hand, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, because I want to read this verse, because I think sometimes we're confused about who our enemies are. I'm glad the Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He is going to destroy all the enemies. And one of these days, all the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ will be at his footstool and he'll be in charge of them. But in the meantime, he doesn't take them all away. Why does God allow our society and the devilment and all that's going on? Why does God allow the rough times in my life and things that beset me all around? Why does he just take it away? Well, he leaves your enemies there for a reason, and my enemies there for a reason. But we need to know who our enemies are, and here's a verse that tells you who they're not. 2 Thessalonians, before we read the book of Judges, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Bible says in verse number 13, but ye brethren be not weary in well-doing. You know, when you got a lot of enemies, you, you, get, you get tired, you get worn out with all the struggle. God says, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Verse 14, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know... The people of God that are not even obeying the Bible and maybe they're even wronging us and they're not doing what God told them to do and they're being used by the devil. God has to remind us that our brethren are not our enemy. You, you've got to get that in your brain. Now, to be honest with you, people themselves aren't, aren't the enemy. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our problem's really not with, with people, it's with the spirit that's in people. And so, if you're not careful, you'll go through life and you'll, cre- you'll create somebody in your life an enemy that's not your enemy. Even if they're wrong. You see that in the text. This guy's not obeying the Bible. He needs to be disciplined that he may be ashamed. You're not even supposed to be around him. So the, the sin's pretty grievous. But he says, look, look, even though he's guilty, he's not your enemy. Do you see that? If you're not careful, you'll make enemies uh, out of people that are in your own family or the people that love you. And we've got enough enemies with the devil that we don't need any more. So I, the first thing I want to say is don't look at people and your enemy when they're not. Our enemy's death. Our enemy is the devil. The, Jesus said that. The enemy is the devil. That's what he said. <laughs> but why does God allow all these things in my life that my life would be so much better if all these enemies were gone? Judges chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, he thought he had a terrible enemy that was beating on him and was buffeting him. He asked God to take away that enemy, and God said no. God had a reason for that enemy to be there. 
Judges chapter 3, the Bible says in verse number 1, Now these are the nations which the Lord left. Do you see that in your Bible? The Lord left. To prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Belhermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Let's pray together. Father, would you please speak to us through your word, by your precious spirit. And Lord Jesus, help us to see things as you see them. Help us see things as they are. And Lord, we're thankful that you give us the victory. We give thanks unto God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to be unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Lord God, there's so many things that are against your people today. But help us to know that some of those things you've left there on purpose. And for a reason, may we see those purposes. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to see is why did God lead these nations? Now, if you're a student of the Bible and you've read the book of Joshua and Judges, you know that the children of Israel have come into the promised land. And as soon as they came into the promised land, well, even before that, they were in a fight. They were in a battle. They began fighting nations, I mean nation after nation and enemy after enemy, and people were coming against them, and and God gave them the victory. And God dispossessed the heathen people and he moved them off of the land and gave the land to the children of Israel. And they conquered great kingdoms and mighty kings and powerful militaries. And God gave them victory. And it didn't matter if they were outnumbered and it didn't matter what the odds were, uh, that God gave them the victory because God can can remove the enemies and defeat the enemies easily. It's not that we have to be so strong to defeat them. God can defeat them by himself. He even said, I'll let the beast chase them out. (laughs) I mean, God even fought battles where he let let stones fall down and just kill people. So what I'm trying to say is God doesn't have a problem defeating your enemies. But we have plenty of them, so why are they still here? And, And here in the book of Judges, what we have found, Joshua has done a great job. He's been a great leader. He succeeded after Moses and God used him. How would you like to follow Moses' shoes? Man. But Joshua did a great job. He was a great leader. He was a great military man, a great soldier, but, but a great spiritual influence as well. And God used him, but by the time he died, There were so many of the nations that were not conquered. There were so many of the enemies of the Israel that were still there in the land. And so the question is, why did God did not drive all these people out? Why? Because these people in the book of Judges 
Because they have not been defeated, what they're going to do, they're going to start persecuting Israel. They're going to oppress them. They're going to put them into bondage. And so the book of Judges is filled with warfare as well. And it goes back and forth. It's just like a teeter-totter. I mean, the children of Israel get victory and then they'll be defeated again. And the children of Israel get right with God and then they'll get backslidden again. And it's just back and forth and back and forth. And much of that has to do with the enemies of Israel that were living among them that they never got the victory over. So why did God leave those enemies there? Our text says, if you'll... Look it with me again, verse, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Judges. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Verse number 4. And they were to prove Israel by them. To know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. One of the, the first reason I want to give you tonight that why God leaves enemies in your life is to prove you to see if you're really serious about doing what he says. May we not be guilty of what the devil accused Job of when he went before the throne of God. You know, he just serves you because you've got a hedge about him, because you're good to him. I mean, anybody would do that, right? Anybody would do what you want him to do as long as you're just so wonderful to him. It's not that he really loves your word, God. It's not that he really wants to do right. It's not even that his heart's right. He's doing right because it's so good for him to do right. God allowed these nations and he left these nations and he did not give them full victory because he wanted to prove them in their lives to see if they were really interested in doing what God told them to do and, and not just make, not just when it was easy, not just when it's convenient. If we just do right when it's convenient, it's not something that's really down deep in our soul. We prove how serious we are with God and how much we love God and how much we are interested in His Word when we do right, even when the enemies are breathing down our neck. What I've seen, the testimony, sadly, of many people is as soon as the enemies come in like a flood, they leave God. They forsake the good ways of the Lord. They turn from the truth. And then they blame God. Well, God, why didn't you take care of these enemies? And, and why did you let this come? And, and, and I'm telling you, God lets these, these things that are against us come in our life to really look into our hearts and to show ourselves. To show us ourselves what's in our hearts. We, we don't know what's in our hearts until the pressure's turned up. And so God left the enemies to prove them. To see whether or not they really wanted to walk in the ways of God. Look in chapter 2. Would you just back a chapter and as he ended it in verse 21, we'll start reading. And I believe this is true about you. I believe, and you and I both, God allows terrible things to be around us in our lives to see how serious we are about him. You think about that just a minute. Is this a test for me and am I going to pass it? Judges chapter 2, he said in verse number 21, 
God is talking and he's very angry in this text with Israel. You see verse 20, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. I, I, I don't ever want to be around that. <laughs> I don't want God to get hot at me. This is what he says, verse 21. I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Verse 23, therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Maybe this thing that's come into your life that's so awful is God finding out where your heart is. Did he not do that with Hezekiah? Look with me, please, in Second Chronicles chapter 32. I've often read this and I've often gotten nervous. If God did this in other people's lives, you know, do you think he doesn't do this to his own people today? This, this is the character of God. He, he wants to find out really what we're made of. You say, well, man, no, let's just, <laughs> I never forget, I was preaching. I won't even tell you where I was preaching. I'm embarrassed to tell you where I was preaching. I was preaching somewhere, and I was preaching on the fool. About Jesus talking about this fool. And I got through preaching about what a fool is. In this church. And I went through all these things in the text about this man who got, who the Lord called a fool. And the pastor, after the invitation, the pastor stood up to pray and he said, Oh God, so many times I've played the fool and I pastor a bunch of fools. <laughs> this was his prayer in front of everybody. And this is what he prayed. But Lord, I guess just help us to keep up the facade a little longer. In other words, it's not really real what's going on. And then when the pressure is applied, the true colors come out. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, this is what happened with Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king. A great king. He's one of the greatest kings in, the, in all the history of Israel. You'd have to put him way up there. I mean, revivals took place with Hezekiah. Real revival. So, so we're not talking about somebody in, in, in here that hasn't done right or hasn't had a good testimony. We're talking about one of God's choice men in the Bible. Hezekiah chapter 32 the Bible says in verse 27, Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields, for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him substance very much. Well, who couldn't do right with all of that? Who couldn't have a good attitude with all that? 
got all these blessings. Have, I mean, I have all, all of this, these riches. You say, yeah, I tell you what, I mean, it, I don't know what that's like. You, you're living that. Do you know you have a nicer mattress than Caesar had when he was the emperor of Rome? I don't think we really understand how rich we are, how blessed we are. I mean, in the course of history, we are the most spoiled generation of human beings that have ever existed on planet Earth. I mean, we live better than kings lived in the Bible. Who couldn't live right and love God, have a good attitude with all how God's blessed us? So this is what happened. Verse 31. 2 Chronicles 32, 31. How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. I want you to look at those three words. God, what does it say? God left him. You say, why? Was he judging him? No. Look at it. God left him. What's the next three words? To try him. Why? Keep reading. That he might know all that was in his heart. I've read the story of those ambassadors coming from the Prince of Babylon. And every time I read that, I almost want to say, what's the big deal? Have you all read that story? Here comes the ambassador and all Hezekiah is doing, bragging on God. And he's showing them all the treasuries and all that. It's not like he sat down with them and concocted some plan to worship Baal. He just showed them all the great things in the kingdom. But God's checking his heart out. God just steps back from him just for a little while to see how real he is. As it were in the book of Judges, God has stepped back and not given the victory over these enemies just to see what Israel's going to do in the midst of all these enemies. To see if they really love Him, if they're going to serve Him, if they're going to cry out to Him, if they're going to live for Him. Do you worship God just because He's good to you? Do you love God just because you're convinced He loves you? Do you do what's right in the Bible just because it pays you to serve Him and it keeps you from all types of destruction in your life? Or do you, in your heart of hearts, you love the Bible, you love the Word of God, you love the will of God, and even if there are no benefits attached, and even if it, even if it costs you everything, you love Him enough to do right. Where is our heart really? God says, I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to leave enemies in your life so I can see what's in your heart. I'm going to watch how you respond. The truth is that none of us know what's going to happen before we depart this life. And to be honest, it really doesn't matter because the way I'm supposed to live and the way I'm supposed to love is not supposed to change. Are you listening? Well, God, take away all these things so it's easier to serve you no no those things are just showing how desperate we are to live for the Lord. I'll give you another example on that look at exodus chapter 16 
God does this so many times. I am convinced. Have you ever looked at something that's occurred in somebody's life or maybe your own life, and you say, I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is so far outside of where the will of God ought to be. It makes absolute no sense. God, where are you? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you remove it? This is destroying the work of God. It's destroying people's lives. Why are you allowing the enemy to be there? You ever seen that? You ever looked at that? You ever noticed that? Why? Somebody's being tested. Somebody's being tried. He said in Exodus chapter 16, this wonderful story about the manna. Exodus 16, the Bible says in verse number 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or no. Now, you understand the story of the manna, right? Now, God didn't have to do it this way. He could have dumped manna and they could all put it in containers. and It could have been preserved. I mean, I would say bread from heaven probably doesn't spoil too fast. I'd say it's probably made of the best stuff without any corruption but God on purpose, he, he could have given them. Now, I don't know how many of you um, go after daily bread. Most of us, I would imagine, you probably get your groceries once a week. If you're really di- diligent, you may get them once a month. When I was preaching up in Alaska, there's a dear family came to me and they said, I said, man, they, they came to hear me preach a missions conference and it was like, 10 hours from where they lived. I said, "This, what are you doing 10 hours from where you live? They said, oh, that's nothing. We have to drive five hours to go to the grocery store. I thought, well, I bet you don't do that every day. No, they had to plan and go to the grocery store once a month and then buy all their groceries. Now, what if you had to go to the grocery store every single day? What if the only bread that you get, you've got to go out every day and there are rules attached to it? You can only gather as much as you're going to eat and as much as the people in the family can. And when you gather, you can't get get one bite more than you're going to eat that day because you've got to come out the very next day to get what you need for the next day. That's give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God's wanting them to live day by day. He did not have to do that, guys. He could have given them a week's worth of groceries in a day. He did it on purpose to see... Whether he made it, shall we say the terrible word? He made it difficult for them to prove them, to see what was in their heart, to see if they can follow instructions. He made them come out every day and gather it. He he could have done it differently. He, he He made it fall on the ground. They had to bend over and get it. He wanted to know that they would get just what he said, just like he said, just when he said, and go back into their house and eat it. And he wanted to see, he just wanted to test them to see if anybody would do something different than what he said. And they did, did they not? And it stank and worms came in their homes. And God got angry with them because God made it, hey guys, God can make it a lot easier on you. 
but he does it on purpose to see whether or not you will do what he says, when he says, how he says, even if it's not easy. Anybody follow me? So instead of praying, God, take away all the difficulties, take away all the enemies of of my life, it might be good to learn the lesson so you don't have to keep going through the school. He did it to prove them, to know what was in their hearts. And you find out real quick what's in your heart when the enemy comes. It's just a revelation of your heart. Go back to your text in in the book of Judges chapter 3. There's a second reason he allowed these enemies to stay, stay, and I believe it's the reason that God allows enemies to be in our lives, and he doesn't remove them. He doesn't remove the difficulties. Not only to prove them, to see what was in their hearts, but let's read again, Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel, now this is a key phrase, as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Verse 2, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. The second reason that he left the enemies among them, it was not just to prove their hearts, but it was also to teach them how to fight. Do you know when you got enemies around you, you, you say, you know, I better learn how to, how to fight. Because all my enemies are still around me. When you don't have any enemies, you don't have any reason to... You know why we build up a military? Because we know we have enemies. Now, now just picture just a minute. If John Lennon had his way and, and there were no enemies. And we just had peace in all the world. We just got rid of all of our... You know why that was stupid and why we don't do that? Because there's enemies everywhere. And we have to be... Prepared. We have to be ready. Is that not right? When you know there's enemies around you, you don't just forget about everything and be at ease. You know you have to be ready for a battle at any moment. God left the enemies there so they would prepare themselves for the battle because there was a generation that did not know how to fight. There were these youngsters that came into the land on the backs of the fighting men of Joshua and all the children of Israel, that never knew how to, that they didn't know how to sling a sword. They didn't know how to fight anybody. They were too young to fight. They were just babies. There was a whole generation of them that had never even been born during all the, a lot of years have gone by. And so now we've got a generation here of the children of Israel. They don't even know how to fight. You know how much in danger you are if you don't know how to fight? And so God says, I tell you what, I'm going to leave these enemies around here so that you'll, you'll take time to teach your children to learn warfare, to learn how to fight. Can I tell you something? God allows your enemies to toughen you up, to teach you. If everything is always so easy, you're never prepared for anything. Do you know the disservice we do our children by removing the difficulties from their lives? 
They're not ready for a battle. They're not ready for a fight because you've never let them go through anything that's hard. You better hope we don't get into a war. You you better hope we don't hit depression. You better hope the dollar doesn't collapse and society doesn't collapse. And real plagues don't start hitting. You know why? Because this generation has had everything handed to them on a silver platter and and, and have been carried around like Thomas Jefferson was on a pillow on his plantation. It's hard. Look, look, you're not ready for life if if you're not confronted with enemies and difficulties and problems. That's why in school it's supposed to be hard. Don't get me on that. We have made school so easy, kids don't know how to do anything hard anymore. And they're not ready for life, let alone ready for what's coming down the road. God left these enemies here and it was difficult for them to toughen them up. You know, we live in a society, everybody wants to take away the tough things. Everybody wants to take away the... And they want to punch you on the back and say, oh, let's just make it easy. You know, God doesn't want to make your life easy. God wants to make you strong. God wants to make you tough because life is difficult. And He leaves the enemies there to help you and to teach you and to train you and to toughen you. And that's lost in this generation. That Bible says in the New Testament, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we're trying to make everything easy. And I'm telling you what, God doesn't do like we do. And you know why things are hard in your life? He's allowed them to be hard. You know why? Because He's trying to harden you up. He's trying to get you, He's trying to get some endurance in you for when it really does come. God forgive us of being so soft and so marshmallow that we can't take trials and we can't take heart. God, remove this enemy and remove this problem. I'll never forget as long as I live. I was pastoring in Virginia and we supported Brother Adam Thompson, who's missionary, who was missionary at the time, down in I think he was in Argentina at the time. He may have just started moving to Mexico, but I think he was in Argentina at the time when I met his dad. And um, his and brother Adam, when he was on the mission field, he had his uh, second child, Ashley, and she had a hole in her heart. She was born with a hole in her heart on the mission field. And you know what? Pastor Hank Thompson and Adam Thompson, they didn't write letters to everybody, and they didn't criticize God, and they didn't get mad at God, and they didn't beg for help. They just they just went through it. They just begged God for mercy and begged Him for help. They didn't cry on social media. There wasn't no social media to cry on. You know what? You're showing what you are when you just cry and beg about how hard everything is. Hey, you, you need, bless God, you need to go to Africa. It's not hard here. How in the world can we say how difficult our lives is as we're riding around in brand new cars and air-conditioned houses with our bellies full? How can we say how life is so difficult? 
How can we do that? I tell you how. Because we are so used to wanting all of our enemies gone, all of our blessings full, and no difficulties, and we think God is unrighteous to make anything in our life difficult. And we've become so weak, we can't even live the Christian life. Life has always been hard. It's not just the Christian life is hard. Life is hard. And you can either you can either be destroyed in your mind about all the enemies around you, or you can let God toughen you up so you can endure hardness and you can learn how to fight. You can learn how to fight your own will and fight your own evil tendencies and your, your own lust of your flesh and fight the things that are against you and turn yourself over to God, or you can you can just lay down and get run over. Or you can go to a church that to tell you everything's all right and it ain't all right. And you can get a counselor to tell you, well, if you, if, if you just remove this and remove that and remove the other thing, everything will be all right. That's a joke. Amen. The enemies are left there on purpose. You have to learn to fight. The enemies are always hanging around. As soon as you think one's gone, there's another one's going to pop up with a different ite. Get rid of the Canaanites. Well, they're the Hivites. You get rid of them, there's the Hittites. Get rid of them, and here comes the Onians. The Zidonians. The Midianites. And they just one after, they just keep coming. Is that not the testimony of judges? They're just always there. God, why is this always here? Take it away. No, no, they don't get taken away till you go to glory. That's why we come to church and we sing and we praise God and we thank God. Amen. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And one day I want to see him. Glory to God. That is for later. Which is probably the only joy of having life just in this little short window. Because I, I have to fight and endure for this long. And then I get to live forever. Why, why are the enemies left in my life, preacher? Why didn't God take them away? Why don't he remove them? Why don't he get rid of the alphabet people? Why, why don't he get rid of the corrupt people in government? Why, why does he just change everything in our society and make it, make it go back to the way it used to be and everything was decent and moral? And why do we have to be in apostasy? And why can't things just be good again? God's trying to get you to learn something, to learn warfare. You've got to be prepared for difficulties. Can I say that again? We must be prepared for difficulties. And what we think are hardships are not hard at all. I mean, we've got government health care. It might take you a while to get into the hospital, but if you've got a need, you can go. Even if you don't have any money. For free. Try that in Zimbabwe. Guys, I, I don't know how else to communicate it. I'm doing the best I can. But I know that we've got people in our church. And I've got people in my life. And I've seen people all through life struggle with the enemies around them and they they just think if I could just get rid of this person if I could get rid of this struggle if I could get rid of this circumstance everything would be great and that's just not true God's trying to teach you something 
I see something else here. Go back to Judges chapter 1. Why does God allow our enemies? Well, let's start reading in Judges chapter 1, verse 21. And I'll show you where they came from. Judges one twenty one and the children of Benjamin did, did not drive out the Jebusites. Did you read how the word, you read how it's worded? didn't say they could not, it said they did not. The children, and there's a reason for that. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Verse 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out. The inhabitants of Beth Shean and her towns, or Tanakh and her towns, or the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibleam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to what? What's the word? Tribute. And did not utterly drive them out. You, say, you know what they said? Boy, this is a good setup. We didn't want to kill all of you people because you... You're good drawers of water. If we'll just leave you guys around, you can chop all our wood for us. Well, we don't want you to leave because we'll just put heavy taxation on you because servanthood is taxation. Yeah, amen. You're welcome. It means you got a master. The master taxes the... Sure, that's what it is. And they say, you know, we don't want to drive y'all out because y'all can pay the bills. And we, we, we can have we can have your women in here cooking all of our meals and cleaning all of our houses. We don't want y'all to leave. We want y'all to stay. Verse 29. Neither did the Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitcher, nor the inhabitants of Nahalo, but the Canaanites dwelt among them. Here it is again. And became tributaries. They're paying them back. Same thing with Asher in verse number 31. In verse number 32, verse number 33. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants. Look at the end of the verse 33. Became tributaries. You see what's happening here. They, it's not that they couldn't drive them out, but they left the enemies there because they were getting something out of this relationship. It was making their lives easier. It helped their covetousness. Can I tell you why the enemies were left there again? It was really just reaping what they had sowed. They left it. They wanted that. They asked for that. They allowed that. You know how many things in our lives are difficult and that are really against us that somewhere way back we opened the door and let it in our life. And then we want to know, God, why in the world don't you remove this when we were the one that allowed it to be there? And we allowed it to be there because we got something out of it. I really believe that so many of the things that occur in our lives, not all of them, that so many things, even the bad things and the evil things and the enemies that are surrounding us, is a part of us reaping what we sow. Oliver B. Green was a great event. He's one of the greatest evangelists that America ever had. But he stayed in a little room and cut all these recordings on his gospel hour. 
and, and spent hours and hours saving tape and going through sermons that he wasn't even putting on the radio. He was putting it back. And they, were at, they asked Dr. Green, they said, why, why you got all these radio broadcasts that have never even seen the light of day? He said, because I know that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to live a very long life because the way I lived my youth. And I dishonored my mother and father, and I don't believe I'm going to live a long life. And Oliver B. Green died at early age. I forget what age he was, maybe in his 50s or... You say, well, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Young people, you don't know. Whatever you're sowing, there's a harvest coming. And when you get over there, you may have forgot all about it, but the law of the harvest didn't forget about it. And guys, how many things in our lives come up, they're against us, they're enemies in our lives, but they're enemies that we used to enjoy. And God told them not to leave them there. Well, it can't be that bad. I mean, they'll help pay. For, they'll, they'll help us raise the lambs to offer them to God. Could just be reaping what you sowed. You ever thought about that? Oh, no, it couldn't be my fault. couldn't be what we did. It couldn't have been my, my decision. Chapter 2, Judges chapter 2. I'm almost finished. You've listened well. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get our minds around why are our enemies still there. God is powerful enough to change the circumstances of your life in a minute. But so many times he leaves things there for certain reasons. Maybe it is to prove what's in your heart. Maybe it is to teach you war and hardness and endurance. Maybe it's just allowing you to reap something that you sowed that you forgot all about. And when that happened, wouldn't it be good if we had had to, we just raise our hands like, you know, Ezra and say, Lord, you've punished us less than our iniquities deserve. <laughs> Boy, all these enemies, all these problems in my life, I tell you what, I'm such a sinner, I, I deserve probably worse than what I'm having to put up with. Well, that was quiet, but that's just true. Because the truth is, you know, we get on the lost people for not getting saved because they don't see themselves as sinners. A lot of times we don't see ourselves being very bad either. We don't deserve this. Amen. That's why I appreciate, I always appreciate Brother Earl preaching to me. He always helped me. If he never speaks to me again. Why it got all over me when I was a young preacher. Well, if God never spoke to me again. How awful. How unkind. How inconsiderate. Brother Earl, just as happy as he can be. If he never spoke to me again, I'd serve him. I'd live for him. I'd love him. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. You shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Listen to God. Why have ye done this? Do you know you can do what you want to do, but you don't get to decide what God gets to do after you do what you do? God says, why have you done this? 
I told you not to put up with these people. I told you to drive them all out. Verse 3. Wherefore, I also said, watch it, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be as what? Thorns in God says this, I tell you what, I'm going to leave them there. I don't know why you didn't do it. I asked you why you didn't. And you thought it was a little thing and you didn't think it was important. But I told you how to live. I told you what to do in your life. And you didn't do it. And you didn't think it was important. You just did what you want to do as we preached this morning. He said, why have you done this? And I tell you what, because you didn't do it. I say, I'm going to leave your enemies there. And I'm not going to drive them out. I'm not going to give you victory. There will be thorns in your side because this is what I'm doing. I'm going to chasten you with it. So that's the next reason our enemies are still there in our lives. Sometimes it's the chastening of God in our lives. It's God's thorn in our heart. (laughs) It's God's discipline. It's not just a random act of reaping what we sow. No, it's God's specific chastening of our hearts over sins that we've committed and not listening to them. And so he left them there. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. So they begin to weep and cry. Verse 11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Have you ever thought that maybe some things in your life has made God angry and so he's not going to remove difficulties just to chasten us? Because he chastens every one of us. He scourges every son whom he receiveth. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Watch it. He delivered them in the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. He sold them in the hands of their enemies. You see that? Round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn of them, and they were greatly distressed. And then the next verses, I won't go into it. Then they would cry on the Lord and God would deliver them. And then they would go back into, in, into apostasy and they'd get away from God and they'd sin against God. And so God would bring, bring those enemies to, to, to bear in their lives again. I'm not saying that every bad thing in your life is the chastening of God. But I am saying this. Why don't we start looking at the bad things and the enemies that, that beset us and say, Lord, have I done anything? Do I need to get clean on something? I was driving back from Mississippi. I don't know why God brings things this I didn't even think about saying this before I got in this pulpit tonight. I was driving back from Mississippi from a missions conference. On Friday night, I got through preaching. I hopped in my car, got home a little bit before midnight. And I was, I was driving. God spoke to me about something that I had done in my life as I was just talking to him. Let me, get, let me get it right. 37 years ago. And it dawned on me that I had never gone to God and apologized to Him. I was a teenager. And I got to thinking about that. And I got broken hard in that car, me alone with God. And I said, God, you know, I'm really sorry for that. And I'm sorry that I broke your heart with that. 
I wonder how many things in our lives we've never repented of that we just forgot about. We probably deserve a lot more whippings than we've ever gotten. He left them there to chase them. I'm not going to go on to the last point, but I really think he also left them there to allow a ministry opportunity for them. You remember what he told them about those strangers that were in the land? He said, now don't mistreat those people that are strangers in the land. You used to be a stranger in Egypt too. I think God also left them there so they would have an opportunity of ministry. He said, matter of fact, when those strangers come in there, he said, I want you to love them. Did you know he said that in the Bible? He said, don't abhor the stranger that is in your gates. I want you to love them. Maybe he left them there so they didn't just look at each other all the time. They had to look at somebody that was different than they were. They had to look at somebody that that needed the God that they had. A ministry opportunity. I'm sure Ruth was appreciative of that. She was in one of those enemy nations. As a ministry opportunity. Matter of fact, when I think about why God allowed Job to be encompassed about with all the enemies he was encompassed about, why did God do that? I don't think he did that to find out what's in his heart because he starts the book saying, I know what's in his heart. He's a perfect man, upright. Shoes evil. I know what's, I know. He brags to the devil about what's in Job's heart. He was right about Job. Well, then why, why didn't he remove Job's enemies? Why didn't he take them away from him? I'll tell you why I really think. This is what I think. So you can pick up the book and read it. So when you lose somebody dear to you, you can open up a book of the Bible and find somebody that lost a whole lot more people than you lost in one day. That in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your disease, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sickness, you can pick up and read something about somebody that had it worse off than you, and yet God was true to him and real to him. and blessed. It ministers to you. I'm telling you, God let, allowed Job's enemies so that we can all get a blessing, we can all be ministered to. Maybe God allows our enemies as an opportunity for ministry for somebody else. Is that not what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us? who comforteth us in all our tribulation. He's the God of all comfort. Guys, you don't get comfort over stuff that's all good. The God of all comfort's there for the struggle, for the heartache, for the hardship, for the rough roads of life. And God says, I'm comforting you in all your tribulation that you may be able to comfort them also that are in any tribulation. If you never go through anything, you can't help somebody else that's going through something. Maybe if we look at the trouble we have and the enemies we have as an opportunity that maybe somewhere down the road I can minister to a a stranger or even minister to my enemy or love my enemy 
or feed my enemy or help my enemy. Or maybe God will use it in my life to be able to minister to somebody that's in the same situation that I find myself in right now that I can't take, that I don't, I don't know how to get through. But if I'll trust God and love him and let him work in my heart and stay humble before him, and he gets me on the other side when I find that person, I can show that person how real God is. God is no more real in the book of Job than he is in any book of the Bible. So God says, I'm going to leave your enemies around you. Not forever, but I'm going to leave them there. Here's some reasons.